0: This is the beginning of our series in Genesis called First Things. And we're gonna be going through just Genesis 1 through 4 over the next four weeks. And so uh, I'm not gonna read the entirety of Genesis 1 this morning or any chapter every each week, but I encourage you to go uh, on your own and be reading those chapters as we go through this together. Um, It's the book of the Bible that people always, of course, start with if you want to read the whole Bible. Uh, And people typically stop at about Leviticus or um, parts of Numbers. Uh, But Genesis, a lot of good action. And Genesis chapter 1 is a great place to start today. Obviously, because it's the beginning. But also coming off Pentecost last week, where we heard about the Holy Spirit uh, birthing the church, right? And and not just hovering over the church, but empowering the church. Birthing something new. It's appropriate to now look at Genesis 1, where the Holy Spirit... Um, where really God spoke creation into existence. And uh, Genesis 1 talks about the Spirit hovering over the void, it's in the Lord speaking into existence this reality um, that we know. And so God created the whole world that we know, and he did so out of love. And we profess this in the Apostles' Creed, don't we? In the very beginning, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And this is really important because what we believe about our origins determines, it's really everything. What you believe about your origins determines how you view life itself. Your beliefs determine your actions, and your actions show what you believe, right? Words don't show what you believe. You can profess a creed and then treat your neighbor horribly, right? That doesn't show what you believe. Your belief is what you act, what you actually do. Now, there's a vast difference to believe that either, one, you were born into this world that God has made and that God loves you and he formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb, right, to hold that belief about your origin, or, B, to believe that you're a cosmic accident. Because if you're an accident and you came here from nothing, then why do you become anything at all? something doesn't come from nothing if god didn't make you then yes your life is meaningless i found a quote from gk chesterton i had to read it about 10 times and i'm going to put it up while i'm talking so you can process this because it's really good but i still have to i'm still marinating all this it is absurd for the evolutionist to complain that it is unthinkable for an admittedly unthinkable god to make everything out of nothing and then pretend that it is more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into anything. Got it? (laughs) Clear as mud? He's showing the fallacy of that belief. You're you're saying that God is just a sky fairy who spoke everything into existence, right? And and yet you're holding this preposition that it's actually more plausible that nothing should be anything at all. C.S. Lewis said... That if there's, if there's no intelligence behind the universe, then nobody designed your brain for the purpose of thinking. Thought, then, is merely the byproduct of atoms crush, crashing together inside your skull. But if this is so, then how can you even trust your own thinking to be true? And if I can't trust my own thinking, then you can't trust arguments leading to something like atheism or agnosticism or even beliefs to believe in God. Unless you believe in God, you can't believe in thought. So I can never use thought to disbelieve God. There's your heavy philosophical thought for the day. Because human beings, we are sort of like we are sort of like animals, but we're glorified animals. We have the we have the the image of God imprinted on our souls. Now we're born into this world, it's flawed, it needs restoration, it needs redemption. Let me Think of it this way. Anybody here have a cat? Anybody have a cat? There's two people, us. <laughs> no one has cats here? You're probably like, no, I don't want a cat. I, I saw a funny tech meme one day. It said, if a cat could text you back, it wouldn't. <laughs> now, we have a cat. i got Kicking and screaming, we got a cat, and I don't have time to scoop litter every day. I just don't have time for that. So I found this thing that rotates, and it drops into a tray. (laughs) I'm telling you details here, because know the old parable, a fool and his money are easily parted. (laughs) And, And it's very convenient, though. So I have a cat, and she doesn't really care for us very much, and that's fine. Who has dogs? Lots of more dog people. Wow. A lot more dog people here. Okay, great. Um, something about cats and dogs. I like them both. But cats and dogs and animals cannot question their own um, existence. At least I don't think they can. Now, one time, on our, 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 our first home we lived in in Charlotte, we had another cat. And one night, we're watching TV, and the cat jumps on the bed, I'm like, okay, great. And I'm sitting there and my, my arm hit the bed and the cat's tail flips once. And I thought, well, that's funny. So let me try it twice. I did my arm twice. The cat's tail goes, bam, bam. I thought, wow, we're having like a telepathic thing here. Like we're having a moment, me and my cat. I'm like, I'm gonna try it three times. No way is he gonna copy me three times. I did my hand three times. The cat's tail goes, bam, bam, bam. This is crazy. Let me try four times. Anne Marie was like, no way. Four times, tail, bam, 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 bam. We were like dumbfounded. The three of us just looked at each other. We just sat and I stared at this cat and he was looking at us. And I had the crazy thought, I thought, that cat's going to talk. <laughs> I can feel it. He's going to speak. He's going to be like Mr. Tumnus in the Chronicles of Narnia. He's going to put on a waistcoat. And he's gonna start walking around. I just felt like a bow tie. I just felt like it was gonna happen. It was this weird moment. And the cat knew that we were about to cross some sort of threshold. And I don't, and and this is so so true. While we're thinking this, we're staring at it. The cat literally jumps six feet in the air and runs out of the room. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so animals, though, cannot question their own existence. There are limits to their capabilities. Humans are glorified animals in that we are set apart and that we can think about those things. We can know the difference of right and wrong. We are able to ask ourselves things like, who am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from? What's my purpose? What's my role? My cat might, I don't think it thinks about those things. I think it's the same day every day for that animal every day. But we have to know where we've come from in order to know our purpose. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that it was good, 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 it was very good. End of chapter. That's a very quick summary of Genesis chapter 1. But in that, in the beginning, all was originally in harmony, it was perfectly in sync. And if you read about the great stories of history, They all follow the same arc in that there is an initial peace or stasis. There's a fall of some kind. Then you need a hero or a mediator to step in and bring redemption. Think about your favorite stories, right? Star Wars, the, uh, The Matrix, Gilgamesh. I mean, you could go on and on and on. It's built into our DNA. We need a redeemer because we know that things are not as they should be. And, in that, and that speaks to a place of, we know that this place ultimately, this earth, is not our home. Amen? This whole earth is ultimately not where we belong. That we belong in a place of perfect communion with God. And sometimes you, hear, read, read, you read certain Christian authors who try and get around the idea of original sin and only want to talk about the original goodness of God. And that's true, Genesis 1, that is fully what Genesis 1 is about. It was originally good, it was very good. But you can't only stop there and focus on the goodness of Genesis 1, because that's not the totality of the human experience. Yes, for Adam and Eve in the beginning, it was all good. But the human story is also Genesis 2, isn't it? And Genesis 3, and 4, and John three sixteen. You could go on and on. In order to provide the cure, you have to acknowledge the ailment. But in Genesis 1, we see that initially there was no need for healing or redemption of any kind. I'm going to look at the sixth day, starting in verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image. A um, uh, A lot of people believe that this is a And multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And so every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So as we said, in Genesis 1, it's God creating order. On the, um, the, the cosmic scale, God is naming. He's providing light and darkness, day and night. He's providing land from water, life in the gra- from the ground. And, in, and science largely agrees with this in that Genesis 1 is poetry, it's not a recipe. I don't think, I don't think, if God was gonna to describe to us how he created the earth, he would, even if he told us, we wouldn't fully understand it. So it's poetry, not a recipe. But clearly the Big Bang Theory lines up with what you read in Genesis 1. In that, in a, in a swift, blinding pulse, a moment that words don't even come close to describing, 98% of all matter it exploded out of one point in the universe, ever expanding. Now, how do we know the universe is? Ex- we know the universe is expanding, therefore we know it had a beginning point. Now, I took astronomy in college, and the part that I managed to stay awake for part of, was a lot of math, I'm not a big math guy, was the Hubble red shift. That things that are moving away from you are put out a red light, or red on, this, on the spectrum of light, so you know it's moving away from you. So we know that all the universe is expanding. So therefore, it had a beginning point. And in, and in about the time it takes to make a sandwich, about three minutes, the universe largely was birthed in terms of all matter that would ever exist. So God tells, uh, Genesis 1 tells us, that in the beginning, God made everything. And it was very, very good. Who's ever read Tim Keller? Anybody ever Appreciated him. I thank you. I, he is. A, he was. He just passed away recently from pancreatic cancer, and he is a spiritual giant in our generation. Pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. Um, what was New York was famously called the graveyard for church planners. He managed to um, plant a thriving church in the heart of the city, really approaching the city with cogent, um, wise, intelligent. Uh, messages that spoke to the hearts of, of the people that lived there. And he told a story that in 1970, his Sunday school teacher used an illustration that changed his life forever. The teacher said, let's assume the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, let's assume that distance is reduced to the thickness of a sheet of paper. Okay? If that is the case, then the distance between the Earth and the nearest star would be 70 feet high of paper. So, how tall is the ceiling? I don't know. Maybe it's getting close to that. 70 feet high. The diameter of our galaxy would be 310 miles high of paper. Then Keller's teacher added, the Milky Way galaxy. There you are. You're you're here. Can you see yourself? you're here. The Milky Way galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe, one of other billions of galaxies. And yet Jesus, the Bible says, holds the universe together by the word of his power. Then the teacher turned to her students and said, now is this the kind of person you ask in your life to merely be your assistant? I remember uh, 20 plus years ago, there were bumper stickers a lot that said, God is my co-pilot. Remember these? Very popular. I get the idea. Hey, God's with me. But I need a bumper sticker that says, God's my pilot. I don't, you know, Carrie Underwood famously saying, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, that's more what I need. I don't need a buddy. I don't need an assistant. I need the pilot. The earliest Christian creed that we have found in history, it's been inscribed on walls on stone that even predate first corinthians and even the book of mark which we think is the oldest gospel uh is three words it's a creed you're gonna guess what it is yes someone said it jesus is lord that was from the very beginning that was the 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 mutual understanding of the church so all the other stuff now jesus is lord He's not just Jesus is my assistant, Jesus is my co-pilot. Jesus is Lord. The God who spoke the universe into existence is not content with people merely putting him in a silo or coming to church when it's convenient or Christmas and Easter as nice as that is, a cultural Christianity. The God of the Bible is not content with skin-deep work. Just as he can speak new worlds into existence, which I think God continually does, he can and will speak new life within your soul. But it begins when you acknowledge him as Lord. Not as a distant idea or a nebulous thing or I'm going to do what I want to do and party and do all this other stuff. he's going to be over here maybe one day when I have kids I'll talk to Jesus but not now like no he's interested in being lord of your life today Monday to Sunday the Bible says that Jesus holds all of reality together all of it in Colossians chapter 1 which will be on the screen he is the image ...of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. I heard a teaching illustration that changed my life, like Keller's similar story, when Louis Giglio did a speaking tour called How Great is Our God, and he did it with uh, Chris Tomlin about 20 years ago. And man, I'm getting old. <laughs> um, and G- Giglio gave this uh, illustration, and he's talking about the universe and the size of you know, stars and all that, and you're like, yeah, okay, Louis, we get it. We're small. God's big, you know. We're okay. It's about context. I get it. Perspective. And then this microbiologist or chemist emailed him and said, Louis, that was a great talk, but you need to know about this protein called laminin. And I heard that, and I said, Do you say lanolin? Isn't that what women use, or whatever? No, laminin. He said, laminin is a protein molecule that holds literally holds the human body together and this is what it looks like i don't know all the details of it what you're on the right is uh, clearly a, an illustration and on the left is a electron microscope image of what laminin looks like a cross-shaped protein that holds us together clearly you could see it as a symbolic aspect of the cross A resounding message that laminin is to our bodies as Jesus is to our souls. And across the nail-scarred hands of the Savior is a bridge. Now someone's life is not being held together today very well. Maybe you're trying to hold it together all by yourself and it's not working out. Well, friends, hear this. The Christian identity is not one that is achieved But it is received. You you were not made new in Jesus by your works. You have nothing to offer him except your brokenness. And that's perfectly fine. That's actually the best thing. Is to offer him your brokenness. Across those nail scarred hands. Is the same message that the cross has always been. The cross is not an image of judgment on the world. It is an image that speaks across the the eons, across the generations, and it speaks love. It speaks the love of God over and over and over again to those who have ears to hear. Hear that if you acknowledge him as Lord, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you shall be saved. And if you give him your life, he will hold you together, even when everything else seems to be falling apart. Inwardly, you can have peace with God. So I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then Pastor Glenn is going to come up and lead us in Holy Communion. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you indeed hold all things together, that you go ahead of us, that you are with us. And I pray for anyone here today that needs to know you as Lord. I pray they would hear your voice now, and that you're saying, let me in, let me in. And I will hold you together. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Take my leadership upon you. You will find rest for your souls. And all are welcome to come to this table this morning. To come and find the peace that only you can bring. Let us continually offer our lives to you as a living sacrifice, God. Come Holy Spirit in this time of worship.